Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Um, Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We began last week looking at the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for a while. Um, And so today we will pick up again in verse 19 of chapter 1. You can be you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you set your mind to. That is what the American dream constantly tells children. That is if you have enough motivation, if you if you put your mind to it enough, you can become whatever you want to become in life. If you shoot enough baskets in your driveway, one day you will be like Michael Jordan. Of course, once we're adults, we know that's not completely true. Um, There's a lot of things you can accomplish with your potential. There is. But you can't literally become anything you want. There's always going to be something stopping you from that. Um, There are certainly things, there are certain things God has gifted you with and other things that he hasn't. I am not gifted with athletics. I'm just not. Um, I I try to exercise regularly, but I can't catch a baseball to save my life. I I am not gifted with aggressiveness in sports. My second grade basketball coach cheered once when I accidentally fouled somebody. He said, it is about time, Aaron, good job. Um, I'm not a very good swimmer. I can't ride a bike very well. Um, And so I'm not gifted with athletics, and I never have been. So I was probably never going to be an athlete, no matter how much I set my mind to it. I just wasn't gifted with it. But this narrative is told to kids with good intentions, and it has created a society of people who see it as a noble and good thing to make a name for themselves, make themselves famous, That's the American dream. Make a name for yourself. Become rich and famous. Make it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is, the more money you make and the more accolades you acquire for yourself, the better your life is going to be. That's what we're told. Now, it's not wrong in itself to be rich and famous. It's not. But pursuing that as your life goal will often run counter to the Christian life. John the Baptist is going to show us that it's not money, it's not fame, it's not being well-known, it's not those things that makes makes your life better, but but, but the purpose of our life is far greater than that, it's far different than that. So take a look at John 1, I'm going to read verses 19 through 34.
And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There was great expectation in that day for the Jews um, that that they waited for someone called the Christ. Um, You might have heard it called the Messiah. It's the same figure. Um, John calls it the Christ. Other passages call it the Messiah. Um, It's the same word. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew. It just means the anointed one. The one God is going to use to rescue the world, to redeem the world, to transform the world. That person is coming, and the Jews are waiting. They're waiting for it. Some expected the Christ would be a military ruler. You see, the Jewish people um, were, were back in the land of Israel, but they didn't have their own king. They didn't have their own government. Like, they were under the control of the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about history, Roman Empire, bad. Like, very bad people. Um, just the most brutal form of people, not uh, a, a good people to, to be under. And so some of them expected the Christ would be a military ruler who would come and kick the Romans out of their, out of their place. Some thought the, the Christ would be a priest, be a special kind of priest that would come. Some thought he would be a prophet who would come and announce the end of the world. And as John is in the wilderness baptizing, um, he's getting a following. People are coming out and following him. They come to see who he is. And so the passage opens. These people come to see John. They ask, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. You notice the repetition? It's, it's again, like I've said, if you see repetition in the Bible, pay attention. This is important. They're trying to emphasize something. And it's, it's like John is trying to say, hey, I'm not him. Like, underline, bold, exclamation mark, I'm not him. I'm confessing, I'm not denying, I'm confessing, I'm not him. 
John knows who he is. John the Baptist knows who he is. He's not the Christ. He's not. Now, he could lie. He could get all these people coming to listen to him preach, all these people coming to follow him, and, you know, let that go to his head and lie and say, yeah, I'm the Christ. Come listen to me preach for my whole life. He could say he's the Christ, and he'd be so famous. Everyone would come to him. His church would grow to a mega church overnight. And, and a lot of people would follow him for a while, and then after 20 or 30 years, he would die. And none of that would matter anymore. He would have fooled a lot of people for his whole life, and then he would have not gone through on what he was saying about himself. And that's the reality of trying to make a name for yourself. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. And, and I remember in high school, um, I wanted so badly to be liked. I wanted so badly to be in the popular crowd. I didn't want to be the most popular guy in school, but I wanted to be friends with all the popular people, right? Um, and the, the reality is that that wouldn't have mattered because after high school, none of that matters anymore. After four years is up, you all go your separate ways and never talk to each other again. After high school, the prom king grows a gut and gray hair. After high school, the captain of the football team loses his glory because he doesn't play football anymore. It's just reality. People try to make a name for themselves, but it will never last. You'll graduate, and those dumb little freshmen who annoy you will take your place as the cool kids in school. You will be the well-off employee at the business. You'll climb the corporate ladder and retire one day, and they will give you a plaque and a cake, thank you for your service, and replace your desk the very next day, and they won't remember you. They'll forget all about you. The new person will work, and they'll become that job. John knows who he is. He knows who God has made him to be, and that's what he makes his life about. He knows who he is. So who is he? Well, verse 21, they start asking him, and it's kind of like a courtroom scene here. It's like they're asking him a question, and he answers. Then they ask him another question, and he answers. Um, they, they just walk through this conversation. Are you Elijah? I am not, he says. But... I thought Jesus said in other places that John is Elijah, so why does he say that he's not? Well, it's, it's not Elijah himself. It's not like Elijah came down from heaven and, and called himself John. Like, that's not what's going on. John is in the same ministry as Elijah. In fact, we see in other places he dresses like Elijah, he um, eats the same food as Elijah, and he has the same preaching ministry as Elijah. They say, are you the prophet? Probably the same idea, just are you a prophet that has come? Um, that person who's going to be the forerunner to the Christ, he says, um, no. And then, who are you, he says? Well, I'm a voice. That's all he says is, I'm a voice. I'm the voice of one in the wilderness. He's just a voice. Why does he say that? Well, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Um, that, that I'm a voice in the wilderness crying, make straight the way of the Lord. Um, understand how the book of Isaiah works. Chapters 1 through 39 are all about judgment. God is going to come and clean house in Israel. They are a bunch of wicked pagans. I'm going to come and clean house. 
Chapters 40 through 66 is all about salvation and hope. Um, The Messiah is going to come and bring redemption. He's going to come and bring a new covenant and a new age. He's going to come and bring salvation to all the nations, not just Israel, but all the nations. And he's going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. And here it begins chapter 40. So three verses into chapters 40 through 66, John's quoting that and he's saying all that that is promised, it's about to happen and I'm beginning it. I'm the one starting it. I'm calling out the the Lord is coming and he's going to start doing all that stuff. It's all about to happen. Redemption and everlasting joy are about to come. They're almost here. And John says, I get to be the voice that prepares the way. I get to be that voice. John doesn't have to make a name for himself. He's serving a greater purpose than himself. He's got a greater purpose in his life than himself. That's the problem with making a name for yourself. It assumes you're the center of the universe. You're not. There's something greater than you out there. And it can, and it can bring you greater joy than any accomplishment you can ever achieve. Notice he's in the wilderness. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. John is okay preaching in the wilderness. He knows who he is, so he's content if God has him preaching in the wilderness or in, you know, on the beach. He's preaching in the wilderness. I'd hate preaching in the wilderness. I'd hate the heat. I'd hate the bugs. I'd hate that there's no Chick-fil-A out there. There's probably a Dollar General out there, if, if we're honest, but... Um, But he's in the wilderness, he's preaching, and he doesn't have any problem with that. If John were a preacher today, people would come and say, you know, you're such a good preacher. Why are you wasting your time out here? You could be preaching at the biggest church in town. You could have 20,000 people listening to you in a stadium. Why don't you come and be a part of that? And that's the assumption of some preachers. Go to a small church first, get experience, so you can go be a superstar at a big church. And that's not, uh, that's not how God has it set out. You go to a church, you pastor that church until God calls you to go elsewhere. No matter the size, no matter the audience, no matter how big the sanctuary is, it's not about the church, it's about the message you proclaim, the bigness of that message. You're not making your name great, you're making His name great. John isn't concerned about making his name great. He's concerned about making the name of the Christ great. So they say to him, verse 25, if you're not any of these people, why are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not a prophet, why are you baptizing? They had baptism in that day, but it's not like the way we do it, where, you know, when a person becomes a Christian, they get baptized as an outward sign of what's happened internally. It's it's something different in this day before Jesus comes. If a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they'd get baptized. So if you live in Egypt or if you live in Iraq or if you live in any nation over there at the time and you are not part of the ethnic people of God, not part of the ethnic Jewish people, but you want to become part of that people, you have to get baptized to enter into that people. But it's a weird thing. John isn't baptizing Gentiles. He's baptizing Jews. Jews are coming out to, to, to John to get baptized. What's up with that? 
Well, it was a movement in the desert that was taking place. There was this sense in which the Jewish establishment was not the actual people of God. They were a bunch of hypocrites. They, they, they were dead. Jesus calls them, um, they're, they're like tombs. They're pretty on the outside, but there's just a bunch of dead bones inside of it. And that's what's going on, and people have a sense of that. So they're leaving town, going out into the wilderness, and looking for something better. There's got to be something better than this, they're saying. There were actually multiple movements like what John was doing. If we read history, Jews are being baptized into something new. John says, I baptize you with water. Yeah, I baptize with water, but there's a greater baptism coming. There's something greater than what I'm doing out there. Someone stands among you, that is, he's here. The person who's going to come, the, the Christ, he's here somewhere. He's standing among you. He just hasn't made his presence known yet. The one you're actually looking for is here already, and it's not me, is what John says. And, and he's saying, understand, he's worthy. He's worthy. I am unworthy. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. He, I'm not even worthy to do that. Understand that slaves would untie the shoes of people. You come in the house, the, the slave would come and untie your shoe and take them off and wash your feet, and you'd go have dinner with, with the person who's having you there. Um, John's saying, I'm not even worthy to do that because of how worthy this guy is. The ironic thing is, John has been chosen to be much more than this man's slave, much more than the person who unties his shoes, because he recognizes how unworthy he is. This cuts against everything we learn in our society. The American dream is to make a name for yourself, make your life awesome, do incredible things and make your life a success. Live, laugh, and love. You're awesome. You're special. You deserve a wonderful life. But according to Scripture, the only way you truly find your life is when you realize just how awesome you are not just how terrible of a life you deserve. When you realize how unworthy you are, that's when you truly find your life. And that's what's happened with John. He's realized how unworthy he is, and so God has chosen him for something greater. So the next day, John has had this conversation with these guys, the next day comes. And John's gonna call Jesus something that, that has been a theme going throughout the entire Bible. Um, understand that you remember the story where Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac. They climb up on the mountain. They're carrying the wood. They're carrying all the supplies for this sacrifice. They get up the mountain, and Isaac looks around, and he's done this sort of thing before, and he says, Dad, where's the lamb at? Like, what, you, you, you told me we're coming up here to make a bologna sandwich, and you left the bologna at home. How are we going to do this? And, and so they're up there, and Abraham just says, God will provide the lamb. He will provide it. And in that moment, God does provide a ram, but it's not the ultimate one. He does provide the ram in the thicket, but that's not ultimately the thing Abraham was referring to. And so from that point on, the story of the entire Old Testament is, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb that God's going to provide? Israel has been looking for the lamb for over 2,000 years at this point the one that would die in their place so they didn't have to go to the chopping block. That's what they're looking for. And the next 
day, verse 29, Jesus comes toward John and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. The whole history of Israel, they've been asking, where's the Lamb? He's right there. He's here. He's come. The, the longing of the Old Testament, the longing of these people's history has come. The Lamb of God is here. Jews were familiar with lambs. They were very familiar with lambs because every year at Passover, the lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the forgiveness of the people's sins for one year. So, so imagine you, every sin you've committed in the past year, a lamb is sacrificed and then it starts ticking again. And every sin you've committed for the next year has to be sacrificed at the end of another year. This is a different lamb that's come. It's a different lamb. The lamb, that lamb that, that the Jews used was provided by men. Men raised those lamb. This lamb is the lamb of God. God has provided him. That lamb only covered sins for a year. This lamb takes away sin forever. That lamb only covered the people of Israel. This lamb takes away the sin of the whole world. God has finally provided the lamb that Abraham told Isaac he would. It's here. But more than just the lamb, John says that Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He, he already said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming among you that's greater than me. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is the one that we saw last week in chapter, verses 1 through 18. He's the one who um, existed before creation. He's the one who was with God and was God. He's the one who became flesh, God in human form. And John says in verse 30, I didn't know him. I might have lost. 31, he says, I did not know him. Not that he didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus and John were actually cousins. But it seems maybe he didn't know Jesus was the Christ, the one coming, until God told him. He, he figured it out at Jesus' baptism, verses 31 through 33, that John baptized Jesus, the Spirit descended from heaven, rested on Jesus, and God had already told John, when this happens, that's the guy. He's the one. He's the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. God sent John to baptize with water to prepare Israel for him. And he says, you will know who I'm sending when this happens. The Gospel of John doesn't record the baptism of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. But we know um, the story. And when that happened, when the Spirit came down like a dove on Jesus, he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. And then Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Um, John 1 probably happens when Jesus returns from that 40 days. So that's where we're at in the story. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is John's purpose for life. This is his purpose. The person who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit is here. We've been waiting for him. 
and he's here. This is what John has been waiting for. Joel chapter 2, it says, in the last days, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all men. That's what this is beginning. Ezekiel 36 says that God will put his spirit in us, in the people that follow him. That's what is beginning with this guy, the one who the spirit, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John has been saying, I'm baptizing to get people ready for him. Jesus is the purpose of John's life. His life is not to make a name for himself. It's not to make him famous. It, it, Jesus is greater than John could ever be, and John serves the one who is greater than him. He's about making him famous. He says, this is the purpose I live for. Behold, he is here. Would we be able to say that? Like, if Jesus, if this was taking place now, and Jesus walked in the room today, right at that door over there, would we be able to say, behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one I do everything for, this guy right here. Would we be able to say that? And finally, verse 34, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. He's not just the Lamb you've been waiting for, He's not just the one who's going to fulfill the Old Testament and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. Jesus is going to be called Son of God at least nine times in John. Um, sometimes when people, skeptics who don't believe in the Bible, they'll say um, Jesus never called himself the Son of God. Um, I, I think they're wrong, but even if he didn't, he never turned away, said when, when people said it about him. He never rejected it. He never did that. Jesus is God's son. He's the one who's going to carry out God's redemption in the world. He's going to transform the world, and he's here. John's job was to bear witness, was to see and bear witness to him. John's whole point in this story is simply this. I am not the Christ. Behold, Jesus is. Jesus is. And that's the job of all of us. We're to say, I am not the Christ. I'm not what the story of history is about. Jesus is. Anything I do to try to make a name for myself is frankly just ignorant because my name will not last. But the name of Jesus will. So make your life about the glory of the Lamb of God and advancing his name, not your own. The, in, in the Old Testament, the question was, where is the lamb? Where is he? We're waiting for him. During the life of Jesus, the, 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 the announcement was, behold, the lamb. That lamb would live a sinless life, the life each of us should have lived but failed to live. He would die the death we all deserve under the wrath of God for our sins. He would rise from the dead victorious over death hell and sin. He would go up to heaven and sit at God's right hand. He would send out his church into the world to proclaim that message. And a few decades later, down the road, another John, the John who wrote this book, would write down <clears throat> a vision that he had in a book called Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> that John would write that he saw this. Chapter 5, verse 6. 
Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The story in the Old Testament was, where is the lamb at? Where is he? In Jesus' life, it was, behold, the lamb is here. Now, our worship is, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the the Lamb. Notice the increase in worshipers there in Revelation 5. It starts out with the four living creatures, goes up to the 24 elders, then it's thousands upon thousands of angels, and then it's every creature in heaven and on earth. Everything under the earth, everything in the sea, all of them, everything is crying out, worthy is the Lamb. Do not believe the myth that you can be whatever you want to be. Don't buy into that lie that your life is about making a name for yourself. Your life is about making much of Jesus. Our lives, especially as Christians, are about showing the whole world that the Lamb is worthy and we are not. Let's pray. Father, we cry out this morning, worthy is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive all honor and praise. Lord, may we worship that Lamb, the one who is exalted among, above all. He's far above anything that we give our lives to here on earth. He's far above every, every nation, every president, every king, every dictator. He's far above everything. He is the one that the, 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 the planets rotate around their suns in worship of. When whales jump out of the water and scream, they're crying out in worship to the Lamb. And when, when, when we live our lives to your praise, we are living worthy is the Lamb. And may that be the cry of our hearts. Lord, may we not think worthy is ourselves, but worthy is the Lamb. He alone is worthy. Oh, Lord, make us to know that. In Jesus' name, amen.